0: Pauline, give me some of your tots. Raven's egg, blood of a hen. A little bit blood. I ate his liver with some father beans. Nice Chianti. Humble pan fry, deep fry, stir fry. Yummy! Hey guys, welcome to another episode of The Cooking Show. Sorry, this episode is coming out late this week. Over the weekend, we had a bunch of crazy wind and storms come through. The tree's down, the power line's down, phone line's down, whatever. Um, we were without electricity and internet or phone for, I don't know, a few days. Uh, we do have a generator. The generator was on for six hours, and then it stopped working, and... I am not a generator scientist <laughs> so there was nothing I could there was very limited uh, things that I could think or know to do and I did them all to no avail so that's that um, but we're we're slowly getting back up back up and running now so I had to put this off for a day two days whatever but you know made a recipe this week that is kind of woodsy and rustic and delicious kind of hearty and and it's getting kind of in that in that wheelhouse of of comfort food and in all the big rudimentary flavors that I like and I'll actually tell you an anecdote about rustic quote unquote rustic um, after we actually talk about what we made this week what we made is a sausage stuffed Cornish game hen with a wild rice mix and root vegetables, carrots, potatoes, whatever, kind of cooked in a in a in a dutch oven. And you know, we'll talk a little bit about the the main the main point of this recipe is to make a small batch of boutique sausage, you know, like a a purpose-driven batch of sausage as opposed to a giant uh, production of a year's worth of sausage. This is a small custom batch specifically for this dish. And we'll talk about that a little bit. And then the the cooking method of, you know, in the Dutch oven, doing, you know, various layers of textures and flavors from the rice to the potatoes and the carrots and then the actual poultry itself. But let me tell you about uh, rust. Why? Why I love that word. Um, My grandfather and my great uncle uh, in the mid 90s kind of went in together on starting a a beef cattle farm down here in green county and to get started with the equipment and the the buildings and you know the outbuildings and all the infrastructure that you need they would go to like farm auctions and buy old broken down equipment four pennies on the dollar but you know it's dilapidated it's broken it's rusty uh it is not functional equipment uh, to on first blush but You know, both my my grandfather and my my uncle were men of infinite resource and sagacity, and they could repair and weld and lubricate and sand and do whatever to make things some approximation of functional. (laughs) So uh, whenever they were going to name the farm, the obvious name was that they would call it Rusty Acres because everything was rusty and broken. But my aunt said that that was not that was not classy enough and that instead you should call it rustic acres because rustic can mean the same thing as broken down and rusty <laughs> but it sounds a little bit more refined so the farm up the road for I don't know 15-20 years was called rustic, rustic acres and uh, I've always thought of that as, as having a little bit more eloquence and nuance to it. It's like oh no this isn't this isn't thrown together haphazardly. This is rustic. This is a rustic preparation. So that's what we're making. We're going to make a, a custom sausage to stuff into a Cornish game hen. Uh, and it's going to serve a couple of different purposes there. Um, as always, you check the show notes. We'll have recipes for the sausage that we made. We'll have the recipe for, you know, cooking the, the, the Cornish hens and, and the rice and all that kind of stuff. Just plain text. Very simple. We'll have a link to the imager album of the sort of step-by-step photographic log of how to make this recipe. And we will have links to any unique ingredients or special equipment that you would need to pull off this particular recipe. I believe we'll at least link to the KitchenAid stand mixer sausage grinder attachment. And we'll see what else. You know what? I might put a link in there to my favorite citrus zester because as I was zesting some uh, lemon zest, it smelled incredible. And I was like, you know, everybody should have this thing. I mean, a lot of people, they're using they're using a cheese grater. They're using a box grater. They're using the microplane for everything, uh, regardless of what texture they really want to get out of this zest. But just having a real simple, solid state the citrus zester is fantastic but anyway uh let's get into this so let's talk about making um small batches of custom sausage here because i feel like i don't see this very often in in the cooking culture the culinary culture i am from southwestern pennsylvania and there is this sort of like subculture of the children and grandchildren of italian and polish immigrants getting together once a year, twice a year, you know, in a basement in Cannonsburg and making 50 pounds of supersat, you know, salting some prosciutto, making a hundred pounds of hot Italian sausage, a hundred pounds of sweet Italian sausage, you know, making all this stuff, huge batches, big production. And, uh, I can understand that when people hear it's like, oh, we're going to make some sausage, It's like, ah, come on, man, we're not going to, we're not going to go through all that just to make dinner one time. Right and i feel like we should contextualize like what sausage is and i've i've said this in in various iterations that sausage burgers meatballs meatloaves they're all the same category they're just different formats of the same thing and you think come on really a burger is the same as sausage yes yes how many burgers do you have that is literally just ground beef mushed together and cooked Very few. You're going to add some seasoning to it. You're going to flavor that burger. Same thing with your meatball. Same thing with a meatloaf. There's really no practical difference between all these things, especially when you're talking about loose, loose sausage, loose, Bula Seaside. There's an old, there's an old commercial. You probably don't remember 1989, 91, somewhere around there. I think it was uh, like a AT&T collect call commercial where a guy keeps calling Tahiti. And the uh, the guy answers, Vinaka Seaside, Tahiti." And uh, I don't I don't remember what the the point of the commercial was, but I do remember that that little uh, very lyrical tagline, Vinaka Seaside." Anyway, uh, what were we talking about? <laughs> making sausage, making small batches of sausage. There's a great episode of Julia Child's uh, The Joy of Cooking on PBS. Oh, my God, 60, 70 years ago at this point, 60 years ago. Um, I can't remember if this is one of the black and white episodes or if this one was in color. I feel like it looks to me black and white, um, but I remember this episode really vividly. I mean, I watched it recently I mean, within the past five years but she goes through making different types of sausages the different types of sausage stuffers like the horn stuffer which is like this uh a horn a, a, a tube with a plunger that you kind of just extrude the sausage out um obviously the crank you know screw plungers stuffers uh she may have even had like the uh the, the caulking gun the ratcheting cock gun stuffer anyway we don't need sausage stuffer for this we're making a loose sausage but the point is, is that she was making different types of sausages, small recipes, like, oh, a pound of meat in this one, two pounds in this one, whatever. And you can do that, especially if you have a small appliance. Now, if you're using, you know, just giant semi-pro or pro-am type of equipment, like a standalone sausage stuffer, a sausage mixer, a sausage grinder, that kind of thing, then, yeah, maybe it's not super practical to make a pound or two pounds uh, willy nilly but if you're using the stand mixer attachment there's no reason why you can't just very quickly i mean it adds 15 minutes to prep time to to send some meat through it add some seasoning maybe send it through again you know it's not it's not time consuming if you're not stuffing it there's not you know an additional step and additional equipment there's not an aging period you know whenever you stuff sausages a lot of times You'll let them kind of not proof, but rest, it refrigerated for twenty four hours to make the the, the the casings sticky and more uh, dried out, so that when you cook them, that casing will snap. Or if it's a dry dry cured fermented sausage, then you got weeks of you know lead time or whatever. But just to grind meats together and season them. To use in a dish is not an onerous activity. Okay. So, what we're doing with this sausage is what we want to do is we're trying to bring out this, this hunter style uh, flavor and texture. Okay. In German cooking, the hunter style is a Jaeger. You know, your Jaeger Meister, your Jaeger, your Jaeger is a hunter style sausage, right? The Jaeger is essentially a cordial or a liqueur to sustain men on campaign or whatever. Um, in italian culinary linguistic circles cacciatore is your hunter style which just means food that would be prepared in the field so it could be farmer style hunter style soldier style whatever but it's going to be it's going to be rustic it's not going to employ a lot of refined techniques like you're not going to be making an emulsified uh, pork mousse with truffles and it's going to be like roughly chopped, thrown together, stewed meats, braised meats cooked over an open fire. That kind of, that kind of evocation. That's what you're looking for, okay? And we're looking for those that that texture, that flavor, even though we're doing this in a kitchen, we're not we're not hunters, we're not soldiers. <laughs> but that's what we're looking for. We want woodsy flavors, nutty uh, rich flavors, and we want this flavor to impart its flavor unto other things. Like we want it to permeate the dish. The The sausage is the anchor and everything is, the ship is built around it, so to speak. So what we're going to do is here, I, you know, another technique, uh, you know, ideally when you're making sausage, if you're making large batches of sausage, pork shoulder, fantastic. It's roughly 30% fat to 70% lean. So it's easy to cube it up, grind it. You don't have to worry. You're going to get a good texture, good moisture content. But... It's very difficult to buy pork shoulder in, you know, one pound increments. So sometimes you need to mix other parts of the pig together in smaller quantities if you just want to make one or two pounds of sausage. So that's what we did. We used these pork loin chops. They they look like they came from the... South end of the northbound pig, uh, the loin muscle kind of going into the sirloin and, and into the ham itself, because there's um, uh, different muscle groups just barely starting to form and diverge. You'll see them in the pictures. They're basically just pork chops with a little bit of fat and some intramuscular fat, some marbling, whatever that serves as the majority of our lean pork content. And then my local grocery store had little packages of fresh side which is pork belly, uncured, basically what would become bacon later, but sliced like bacon, like little rashers. Um, that was, you know, that was great. It's very fatty. It's probably fifty-fifty fat to lean, so you can use that to to imbue the rest of the pork with the fat content that you're looking for. But these two uh, bits of pork combined were less than two pounds. It was like one and a half to one and three-quarter pounds of pork. Then we're going to add to that walnuts walnuts to add like a nutty we're not going to get a whole lot of texture from this because we're going to grind this all together the walnuts are going to kind of disappear into the farce but it is like that dry tannic nuttiness that is really nice it's it's very evocative of rustic cooking uh shallot you know as opposed to onion you know we're not going with something super sweet but shallot is a is a delightful aromatic to add to sausages some uh, cremini mushrooms again same with the walnuts the mushrooms will disappear into the forest but they will impart a dry nutty flavor and a little bit of texture that'll be really nice Uh, some ginger fresh ginger fresh ginger uh, peeled and diced um, only about a tablespoon to two tablespoons of that ginger oh that's another thing whenever you're making a fresh sausage like this That isn't going to ferment or cure or anything like that. um, You can be kind of fast and loose with the measurements. It's just sort of like some ginger, one clove, uh, clove of uh, uh, shallot. I don't know. It's a bulb, and then inside the bulb are different clove cloves or lobes of a shallot. Uh, What do I got here? Two, four, five, or six mushrooms. A small handful of walnuts. The only thing you really need to measure out. Properly is the salt because you don't want to oversalt it. And if you undersalt it, all of these flavors are going to be kind of muted. Um, so that's cool. You know, you can, you can kind of just eyeball some of these measurements. So, where do we leave off there with some uh, ginger? Um, on the herb front, we're going to use uh, dried thyme, rubbed sage, and black pepper. That'll be a very nice sausage uh, woodsy, herby flavor. Um, obviously, we'll use some salt and the zest of math about three quarters of the zest of a lemon and what we're thinking about here is how this sausage is going to work in the full context of the dish we want flavor from that sausage because it's gonna be stuffed inside of cornish game hens you want that flavor to sort of have enough oomph behind it to permeate the meat of the bird to keep the bird moist and delicious and not dry out to um to then some of this some of the fat and the juice of the uh, the sausage will of course drain out into the the pot itself which will then flavor the root vegetables and the rice and we want we want flavors that can become very aromatic and permeating and the citrus zest is fantastic for that like if we weren't stuffing poultry with something that was edible unto itself you know if we were just if we just just wanted to impart flavor onto the poultry you would use things like apples and onions and lemon wedges because they would do the same thing they would they would permeate the meat of the bird and be really delicious so that is basically the ingredients of this sausage pork uh thyme sage pepper mushrooms walnuts shallot lemon zest, ginger, and salt. Okay. And what we're going to do is using our KitchenAid stand mixer sausage grinder attachment, we're going to grind the pork first, kind of unadorned, just put it through um, medium, medium to medium coarse grind. We're going to, we're going to send this through the grinder twice, but we're going to keep it on the same grinding plate because we don't want it to get really finely ground and incorporated because What'll happen is you run the risk of it getting super dense when it's cooked. And I mean, we're gonna cook it outside of the bird and then put it into the bird afterwards, but you don't want it to get really dense, like just like a knot of of reconstituted meat. Uh, you want it to be kind of crumbly and delicious like that. So we're gonna send this through the medium coarse grinding plate first. Then we're going to add all of our seasonings, the sage, the thyme, the pepper, and the salt to the meat, kind of mix it up with a wooden spoon, and then throw in the the walnuts. You might have to um, quarter your mushrooms, depending on how big they are. If the mushroom won't fit down the neck of the grinder, um, you might want to quarter them so that they will fit through that hole. I did finely dice the shallot because I wanted that to really get incorporated into the meat. That shallot's going to provide a lot of moisture, you know, onions in general are very watery. So we want those to re- really be evenly distributed throughout the meat. So as they get hot and they sort of start sweating out their moisture, um, it'll be absorbed and, in, in Not emulsified, but sort of mixed up with the fat of the pork and everything like that. Similarly, I diced the ginger so that it would evenly incorporate into the rest of the meat without there being big chunks of ginger. Raw ginger or fresh ginger in big chunks can be really vivid (laughs) in flavor. And you don't want to get like a little, you know, half inch cube of pure ginger in a bite zested the the lemon about three quarters of which right into the meat. and then you know with a wooden spoon you can just sort of toss everything together so that it's roughly mixed and then send it back through the sausage grinder a second time and that will really incorporate all the flavors and textures and all the ingredients will get pretty evenly mixed throughout the farce by doing that now we are going to pre-cook our sausage for mostly practical reasons. Number one, when you're when you stuff something into poultry, you need to make sure that the poultry comes up to temperature, 165 degrees Fahrenheit, but that also whatever is in the center, whatever's stuffed inside of it, also has to come up to 165 degrees Fahrenheit to ensure that it is food safe, because otherwise you have undercooked stuff in the cavity of a bird, a chicken, a turkey, a game hen, but inside of a bird, um, where there is poultry juice (laughs) and, um, bacteria from the, from the cavity of the animal, um, intermingling with whatever the ingredients are of the stuffing. So you need the whole thing to come up to 165 degrees. And let me tell you what the, the poultry, the meat, the bird, the breasts, the thighs, the legs, the wings. They will come up to 165 degrees way before the center mass of the cavity stuffing comes up to 165 degrees. So that is a recipe for definitely overcooking um, the poultry itself. So we're going to cook the sausage so that all we need to do is bring the, the center, like the inner the inner boundary of the poultry up to 165, knowing that um, the, the sausage is going in. Um, warmer than it otherwise would and it will uh it'll take on that heat and basically the whole the whole package will be at a done temperature at the same time and you don't have to worry about the center mass of the sausage being undercooked it worked really well basically the the breast meat was at like 172 and the center mass of the sausage was at 168 And that was pretty good, (laughs) pretty accurate anyway. So we're going to cook this and you want to avoid, um, you don't want to like sear it and get like a really hard browning onto this, um, which seems kind of counterintuitive because you know, whenever you're cooking off ground meat or sausage or something, the browning does add a lot of flavor to it, but we want to keep the sausage as moist and fatty and kind of all together as possible. Uh, we don't want to have, we don't want to have a lot of fat draining out of the sausage and pooling in the bottom of the pan. So by cooking it at a moderate temperature and just going until it's, uh, you know, it has gone from pink to white to just starting to brown and is fully cooked. um, That is wonderful. Once you've done that, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, depending on how much sausage you're making, how wide, uh, your pan is, how much surface area you're working with, let that cool down it doesn't have to get all the way down to room temperature but you want it to get cool enough that you can handle it with your hands because we are going to add a couple of eggs to this as sort of a binding agent and we don't want those eggs to cook number one um, by being mixed with like hot and I'm saying hot as a temperature hot sausage we don't want the egg to cook you don't want to turn it into scrambled eggs or anything like that um, so if it gets down to under 100 degrees to where you can, you can manipulate it with your hands and it's just warm and pliable, that would be fantastic. In our cast iron Dutch oven, we're going to lay down on the bottom of it sort of a raft of carrots and then sprinkle in a couple of little tiny potatoes. Now, the reason we're doing the raft of carrots is because we want to keep the Cornish hens elevated off of the bottom of the pot. Of the pot um, number one because we're going to also add some chicken stock to the bottom um, and we're going to create this very hot moist environment without it being strictly a braise because the, the 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 Cornish hens are not going to be s- setting sitting in the the hot stock It's they are going to be elevated above it but it is going to be a very humid um, environment um, additionally By elevating the Cornish hens, you're getting them closer to the lid of the Dutch oven. And, you know, what is the lid of your Dutch oven? It is also a slab of cast iron. It is essentially a frying pan. And in a hot oven, it will become a heating element like the the heat of the oven will be absorbed into the cast iron of the Dutch oven and of the lid and that will be radiated into the center from all directions just blasting the interior with all this heat and it's gonna be really um it's really nice to have uh to have your 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 hens close to that lid and as close to that heat source secondary heat source as possible so you put down a raft of your carrots add in you know one and a half to two cups of chicken stock throw in a couple of your potatoes salt and pepper on the vegetables and then you know by this time if your sausage is cooled down to the point where it is uh not dangerous to handle Uh, Crack two eggs in there and mix it up real nice so that it's gooey and yellow and delicious looking. (laughs) And then take handfuls of that and stuff them tightly into your Cornish hens. This will actually serve a third um, function, I guess, of pressing out from the inside and fluffing up the, the corpus of the bird itself so that it looks a little bigger than its britches would uh, suggest, um, but everything's going to come together really nicely. Get those loaded up with the sausage, and then lay your hens on top of your raft of carrots. And you can pack them in there a little bit, you know, so that if you don't want to have to truss your birds, if you pack them into the uh, the Dutch oven so that they're kind of pressing against each other, that will keep them a nice shape. Uh, that will also um, maintain pretty consistent density of the, of the bird itself. That's a lot of what the trussing does anyways. It, it binds it together so that you have a similar density, um, on the aft end as you do to the fore end. So get those guys packed in there, put the lid on and put those into a 350 degree oven for one and a half to two hours. Um, You know, if if you're doing this leisurely, go for the two hours. Otherwise, you may have to blast it with a little more uh, intense heat at the end just to get it over that, you know, 165 threshold and to brown it up. They're not going to brown very much, if at all, in the Dutch oven during this regular cooking process because it is uh, a super moist environment and that chicken stock is going to sort of wick heat away from the the surface. It's going to keep the skin very moist, um, but we will address that later, okay? Now, once your hens are approaching doneness, like if you check them after an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes, insert a probe thermometer through the breast meat, into the body cavity, into the sausage, and once you're at like 140, 145 degrees, uh, at that point, what we can do is we can take this Dutch oven out of, out of the oven, get a platter, something to uh, sort of a holding platform. Remove your hens from the oven, put them on the platter. Remove the carrots from the from the bottom of the of the Dutch oven and put them on the platter, and then eyeball this liquid and think, okay, is there? Is there one and a half to two cups of liquid down there? You know, you may have added one and a half cups of liquid, but then you'll get additional liquid expressed from the Cordish themselves. You'll have some liquid uh, draining from the sausage in the cavity. Uh, Even even your carrots are going to give up a little bit of water. Um, And since there was a lid on the Dutch oven, there's nowhere for that to go. I mean, you'll lose some to steam whenever you open up and you're jostling things around in there. But ch- take a look at your your liquid content and say, you know, is there about two cups of liquid in here? If there is, add one cup of your wild rice blend at this point. And just with the tongs or a wooden spoon or something, stir them around just so that they're all coated in the liquid. Replace the carrots to the bottom of the pan and put the cordish hens back on basically you're putting everything back the way it was you're just adding this rice at the end because it only takes 15 or 20 minutes to cook and if you cook it in the pot for the full two hours um, the starches will start to break down and you'll just have like this porridge in the bottom that is not nearly as delightful as um, freshly cooked rice essentially so you put everything back together put the lid on back into the oven, crank that heat to 400 degrees. That will that will bring the chicken stock up to a simmer in the bottom. Let that go for 15 minutes and then remove the lid. And if you want to, you can knock it up to 450. You can turn the broiler on. But at this point, we're going to be boiling off some, some excess uh, moisture content and browning the skins of the Cornish hens to get them looking delicious and at this point uh, you should be well over the 165 target temperature you can remove your Dutch oven from from the real oven you can <laughs> you can remove the Dutch oven from the American oven and put it on your stovetop Um, remove your uh, Cornish hens to a platter Uh, if you're using the same platter that you used earlier wash it in between because the hens were not done at the point that you had them out on that earlier right remove the Cornish hens from the platter remove your carrots from the dutch oven and then you know give your rice a little fluff with a wooden spoon you can use a fork but don't scratch it along the enamel of your dutch oven you know Fluff your rice up. If there's too much liquid, turn the stove on and simmer it to boil some of that off. And then, you know, by the time that's ready and that's it's dried up a little bit, your your hens themselves have rested for 10, 15 minutes, which is nice because they're going to be super duper hot coming out. Uh, and then for plating, uh, what I went with was tried to make like a little nest of the wild rice studded with a couple of the potatoes uh, with the Cornish hen sitting directly on top of that, and the nicely roasted uh, carrots laid beside, and let me tell you what, it was very good. the The lemon zest really shone through in in the sausage. The sausage had great rustic flavor. I swear that I can I could pick up the the flavor of the of the walnuts and the mushrooms, and it was uh, you know the, the 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 hens themselves were juicy and flavorful because they were packed with a high moisture content stuffing, you know, as opposed to stuffing them full of bread, we stuffed them full of uh, very fatty sausage, <laughs> which kept them nicely hydrated and delicious. And it was, it was great. Uh, I gotta say that the standout star of the dish is that wild rice. Oh my God. Cooked in the chicken stock and the drippings from the sausage and the, the Cornish hens, That rice was fantastic. Holy cow. It's probably going to be my default rice preparation. It's just like pan drippings and wild rice cooked, um, you know, relatively haphazardly. Uh, You know, you're not throwing it in the rice cooker with pure water measured out perfect. No, just sling it in some liquid. See what happens. It's delicious. That was fantastic. So uh, Cornish hens stuffed with a small batch of boutique sausage, and cooked in a Dutch oven with some root vegetables, and then right at the end, some wild rice. It was fantastic. Um, I hope you enjoy this. And, you know, we're getting back to normal here, having, having lights and internet and all that good stuff. All right. Hey, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week.